Welcome to IBS Chat from the IBS Patient Support Group. I'm Jeffrey Roberts, the IBS expert and founder of the IBS Patient Support Group website and social media platforms and creator of World IBS Day, held every April 19th. I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome at age 16 and I've lived with IBS for over 25 years. It's my mission to educate people living with irritable bowel syndrome and to raise awareness about research and treatment options and what it's like to live with IBS. The IBS Patient Support Group is a community to inform and support irritable bowel syndrome sufferers and can be reached at ibspatient.org. Supporting IBS patients is something that I think of every day because the quality of life of an IBS patient and those that support them is very important to me. Episode number three. In this episode, I had the privilege of spending a few minutes with Dr. William Che from the University of Michigan at Digestive Disease Week in San Diego. Dr. Che is the Timothy T. Nostrum Professor of Gastroenterology and Nutrition Sciences, Director GI Nutrition and Behavioral Wellness Program, Co-Director Michigan Bowel Control Program in the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of Michigan Health System in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Dr. Che has authored more than 300 manuscripts, reviews, and book chapters. He is the former editor of the American Journal of Gastroenterology and a member of the Board of Trustees of the American College of Gastroenterology, as well as a member of the Board of Directors of the Rome Foundation. He has been elected to Best Doctor since 2001 and America's Top Doctor since 2009. In 2015, Dr. Che was named as one of the 190 gastroenterologists to know. With that being said, Dr. Che spoke to me about an integrative approach combining diet therapy, behavior therapy, and medical therapy, IBS not likely being a single disease or condition, the real breakthroughs that will come when we have better precision in diagnosing these conditions, and microbiome and the gut-brain interaction. Hi, we're here at uh, DDW with uh, Dr. Che, and uh, I'd like to ask you, you've really been an advocate for diet as a treatment for IBS uh, for a very long time, so much so now that you're the head of research looking at dietary lifestyle treatment options for IBS. What did you see that others hadn't seen before? Yeah, first of all, thanks, Jeff, for, uh, for interviewing me today. It's, it's really a pleasure. We've known each other a long time, and um, uh, you've really done an incredible amount uh, in regards to advocacy for patients with IBS. So on behalf of those patients with IBS, thanks very much. Thank you. Um, so this is where this whole thing began. You know, when I was a fellow, a GI fellow, back in the 19, early 1990s, I remember seeing many IBS patients and universally being asked about what they could do about their diet to, to address their symptoms. And I vividly remember that uh, the attendings that were teaching me at the time would say that there is no diet therapy that's really available for IBS. I always found that curious because it seemed that the patients couldn't be wrong that often. And um, uh, when you think about how the field has evolved, uh, pharmacological therapies still play a huge role. But non-pharmacological therapies, including diet, have really come to the fore. Uh, and you referred to this in your introduction. Uh, diet therapies have become critically important. In fact, most people view, most gastroenterologists in the United States in a survey that we recently did, view diet therapy as first-line therapy for patients with IBS. Think about how that's completely turned on its head over the last 20 years. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, also, behavioral therapies have really come to the forefront as well, and, and in fact, um, they've really kind of moved from more of a fringe element into more of a mainstream therapy that people talk about with tremendous legitimacy nowadays, which I think is fantastic because they work fabulously in, in the right patient. Uh, and in fact, I would even predict that as behavioral therapies become more widely disseminated, they're more consistently covered by insurance, 
that they will be also be viewed as first line therapies in patients with IBS. Well, that's interesting because I know that you're very involved in other research other than diet uh, as options for IBS. Do you think we're getting closer to a breakthrough for a treatment? And it sounds like we're leading down a path where these first line of treatments of, of using cognitive behavioral therapy or using food <clears throat> as perhaps maybe the be better way to maintain somebody's quality of life. Is that really think where you're, we're heading? So this is a critically important point in my opinion is that I think we need to really avoid thinking about these treatments in isolation. I think increasingly uh, it's accepted that an integrative approach is is the most likely to lead to a successful outcome. So not thinking about diet therapy or behavioral therapy or medical therapy, but all of those things together in different combinations with different emphasis in different patients. And here's the reason why we have to think of it that way, at least under the current diagnostic paradigm. You know, when we think about IBS at the current time as being a symptom-based disorder, a diagnosis that's really made predominantly upon the presence of abdominal pain and altered bowel habits, maybe a few diagnostic tests to exclude other organic diseases that can masquerade as IBS. The reality is that IBS, under the current diagnostic construct, is not a single disease. Mm -hmm. It's probably a whole bunch of different diseases that happen to present with the same symptoms. So. Um, thinking that, naively thinking that you're going to be able to um, address the, this panoply of different conditions with one singular treatment, I think is foolish. And um, to me, right now, our, the greatest thing that holds us back is our inability to be able to make a diagnosis with greater pre precision. Now, does that mean that uh, the wrong criteria are useless and no value? No. That's actually not at all, because that is the best that we have at the current time. But going forward, you referred to a breakthrough. The real breakthroughs will come as we are able to achieve greater precision in terms of the diagnosis. When we're able to do that, we'll be able to choose the right treatment for the right patient, which will lead to, uh, rather than treatment outcomes of 40 or 50 percent in overall populations of IBS, outcomes of 70 or 80 percent. Um, in, pa in precise subgroups of patients right. with IBS. Right. So that's where we're heading. We're a long ways from that. So I don't want to get the listeners um, too excited in the sense that it's not going to be that we're going to be, it's, it's unlikely that we're going to be there within the next couple of years. But this is the holy grail for researchers like myself uh, and other groups that are working in the field. Hopefully we'll get there and hopefully it won't be too long. Okay, well it's a nice, somewhat of a segue to my next question. Uh, so as a gastroenterologist, you not only see, you know, IBS patients, you see a whole gamut of digestive illnesses and it takes years of knowledge gathering and skill to diagnose someone correctly. What advice do you have for patients who think they might have IBS, who might want to diagnose themselves? Mm -hmm. um, we have our own opinion about yeah. patients diagnosing themselves <clears throat> and we're obviously not in favor of that. Well, here's the thing is that Everybody has GI symptoms now and again, and that's different than IBS, where we're really talking about individuals that have recurrent bouts of abdominal pain and altered bowel habits. And the metric that I always tell people that ask me this question um, is that if the symptoms have gotten to a point where they're interfering with your daily activities or your ability to carry, to carry out your responsibilities, either at home or at work, you should definitely see a physician. Because here's the thing is that um, nowadays, uh, although we're clearly not perfect, we have come an incredibly long way in terms of 
the things that we can potentially offer patients with IBS symptoms. So to me, it's ironic because I, a lot of times I talk to patients, I'll talk to, to doctors and they'll, they'll say, oh, IBS is such an incredibly hard condition to treat. I don't find it that, that to be the case at all. I think today in 2019 that IBS is actually one of the easier things that I, that I address and treat. It's very encouraging. Yeah, very severe IBS, sure. But garden variety IBS, I think, is one of the most fulfilling kinds of patients that I see because we have multiple things that we can offer. And usually, within the context of those various treatment options, we can find something that helps. You touched on this before, and it's my last question. Uh, you're a member, you touched on the member of the Rome Foundation uh, that does incredible work at updating the knowledge of functional gastrointestinal disorders. There's been some discussion about renaming uh, functional GIs to be better known as disorders of the gut-brain interaction. And without getting into that, I'm more interested in your thoughts on the other school of thought that microbiome may be leading us to, uh, to clues about the cause of IBS. What is a patient to think about these two approaches? Yeah. Well, I don't think that they're separate and distinct because here's the thing is that um, when, you, when we use the terminology disorders of gut-brain interaction, we mean that holistically, meaning that there, it's not just psychological interaction that we're referring to there, but really everything that that gut-brain interaction encompasses, including the microbiome. Because here's the thing, um, there's fascinating recent work to suggest that what's happening in the, at a gut level in terms of the microbiome influences cognitive, emotional function, mm -hmm. visceral sensation. So all of those foundational pieces that we talk about as important in the pathogenesis of IBS are influenced by the gut microbiome and I think fall within that rubric of um, disorders of gut-brain interaction. So Mike Gershon's work years ago looked at brain-gut interaction. Is this all really along the same lines of what he discovered in terms of the serotonin and, and controlling motility with serotonin? Um, is microbiome really perhaps uh, that the one thing that we didn't that we're now looking at that could also be that clue in terms of this gut-brain interaction. So this is what I would say, and and I'm a huge microbiome advocate. For those of you uh, listening, in fact, I'm wearing a tie that has images of a bacteria called H. pylori uh, that causes peptic ulcer disease, um, and I'll be giving a a talk at the postgraduate course at the meeting a little bit later on small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So I'm all about microbiome. Um, but that said, I think we have to be a little bit careful and circumspect in terms of putting too much credit or too much emphasis on microbiome. We have to sort of let the, the research play out and see how it, how it all falls. Are, am I and other researchers super excited about the microbiome as the missing link to sort of tie together a lot of these concepts? I think it's, it's um, biologically plausible that that will turn out to be the case. but. I would again say if, if you go back and think about the history of IBS, motility, uh, visceral hypersensitivity, brain-gut interactions, um, permeability or leaky gut, um, uh, genome, genomics, all of these things were held up as this is the missing link at the time that they came to fore and people got excited about them. And um, what we've come to realize is that each one of these things plays a role um, and they interact, but, but in, by, by themselves aren't the answer to, to the condition that we currently refer to as IBS. So I think the way this whole thing's going to shake out is that microbiome will be a piece of the puzzle. It won't be the whole puzzle. Hmm. 
It's very interesting. Uh, thank you very much. It really fascinating to hear that you feel in your practice that treating IBS is actually quite treatable. In the more severe cases, it's obviously more difficult. However, I think it's very encouraging for uh, listeners to, to hear that coming from somebody who has um, been looking at IBS for so many years. So thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff.